Chapter 3 of Mighty Animals. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Hawaii in December 2010. Mighty Animals by Jenny Irene Mix. Chapter 3 How the Dinosaur Was Taken from the Rock. On a midsummer's day a few years ago, three men started out from a large museum in the United States to hunt for fossils. They traveled without stopping until they reached Medicine Bow in Wyoming, which was the nearest they could get to their destination by rail, and here they immediately began making preparations for the rest of their journey. First, they found a man who would cook for them then they engaged a couple of laborers to do their heavy work after this much had been accomplished they hired a wagon with two strong horses to draw it and three saddle horses for themselves they also bought food supplies and whatever was necessary for a camp outfit in addition to the things they had brought with them from the east when everything was in readiness, the entire party started on the tedious journey into the fossil region. The three men from the museum rode horseback, while the others found places in the wagon. The weather was hot, and the farther they went, the hotter it became. The roads were rough and dusty, and sometimes little more than a trail. When, toward the end of the second day, they came within sight of their goal, they were thankful although the country was a barren spot fit only for sheep grazing they chose for the site of their camp a little stretch of grassy ground near a narrow stream of water it was not such water as they could have found in a country filled with verdure for it was unpleasant to the taste and not even good to look upon but it was the best there was and so they were satisfied soon the tents were pitched after which a quantity of the sagebrush growing everywhere about was gathered for a fire as this brush burns like tinder there was soon a roaring blaze supper was cooked and eaten with a relish although the fare was of the plainest by this time the sun had disappeared and the air had become filled with a chilliness that made the three men glad to sit close to the fire smoking their pipes sometimes telling stories to one another, then again falling silent, watching the leaping flames. All round about were hills, the rocky sides of which were seamed and jagged. It was a forbidding land, and one in which no man would choose to live. Save for the voices of the men around the fire, the occasional shouting of the wrangler as he cared for the horses, and the frequent yelping of the coyotes in the distance, the whole region was silent. Yet, ages before, this same region had been filled with strange sounds made by the voices of mighty animals. For this was the place where once had been the lake in which the great dinosaur lost his life in a fight with another of his kind. And all the rocks and the hills and ground had once been the mud that lay at the bottom of that lake, and in which the dinosaur and many other creatures had been entombed. Knowing that these rocks were full of the history of past ages, these three men had come out to search among them in the hope of finding the bones of some creature which would add a new chapter to that history. 
So, early in the next morning, they were up and about their work. Now, the only way it can be known that a rock contains a fossil is when a portion of that fossil shows on the surface of the rock. This portion may be so small and look so much like the rock that one not experienced in fossil hunting would never see it. But the eye of the man accustomed to this work is so trained that he can detect the slightest indication of a buried bone as soon as he catches sight of it. As countless rocks containing fossils do not show any such indication, and probably never will, the creatures which lie buried within them will forever remain undiscovered. It is very possible that many a picnic lunch has been merrily eaten off a rock in which a skull or a foot or some other portion of a gigantic animal is buried, or perhaps the entire skeleton of a smaller creature. Even the foundation stones of our homes or the sidewalks in front of them may hold the bones of animals unlike any which we are familiar today. But there are some sections of the world where the surfaces of many of the rocks have worn away until the bones within them are visible, and such a place is the region in Wyoming where these three men made their camp. For days, however, after they began their search for fossils, it looked as though they were going to meet with nothing but failure. They hunted on foot, and they hunted on horseback, sometimes all keeping together, sometimes each man going alone, but they found nothing of enough value to ship back to the museum that had sent them on their expedition. They finally decided that unless a discovery was made within the next few days, they would break camp and move to some other locality where, perhaps, they would find a richer hunting ground. The next day found them all at work again, each man taking a separate route. Late in the afternoon, as one of them was making his way back to camp on foot, exhausted in body and discouraged in mind, he suddenly stopped and stared at a rock jutting out at the base of a bluff on his right. There, plainly visible in the tomb within which it had been sealed many millions of years before, was the half-open mouth of the dinosaur which had died in the lake while fighting so valiantly for his life. With a bound the man reached the rock. It took him but a short time to decide that he had discovered the head of some gigantic dinosaur. He looked about him to see if any other part of the skeleton was in sight. Soon he came upon a rock in which was a section of the backbone. Then he gave up further search and hurried back to the camp. There he found his two companions who, having met with no success in their day's work, had concluded that it would be better to move the camp the next morning. When they heard the story of the third man, they were as delighted as they were surprised, and all turned in to sleep early so that they might begin the next day's work in good season. The following morning, soon after sunrise, they were at the spot where the dinosaur's jaws were visible, eagerly searching for more signs of the buried monster. But not a vestige of bone could be seen, aside from the jaws and the piece of backbone the man had found the previous evening. So the man concluded that the skeleton, if it existed, must extend back into the bluff. The only way to find out whether or not they were correct in their guess was to dig into the hillside. 
This meant heroic labor, for, as the rock was hard instead of being somewhat soft, as is often the case with the rock in which dinosaurs are found buried, the cutting away of the stone was a difficult undertaking. After the rock containing the skull had been loosened from the hillside and signs of other bones were revealed, the men felt reasonably confident that a large part of the dinosaur's skeleton would be found extending back into the bluff. To get it all out would mean at least a year of work, and perhaps two years. So preparations were made for a long stay in this desolate region, where there was no hope of their seeing any other human beings except an occasional sheepherder or cowboy. Two men were sent back to Medicine Bow to get some extra supplies and mail a report of the discovery to the museum. Soon after this, every man in the party had settled down to his long task. Presently it was found that it would be necessary to make a tunnel into the bluff in order to reach the bones. Knowing from past experience that such a method might have to be adopted, the men had brought gunpowder with them, and as every collector is expected to know how to blast, the tunnel was soon being opened up. As the work progressed, a drawing was made by the headman of the party that showed the location of every rock before it was taken from the bluff. Then, as each piece of rock was removed, strips of burlap wet in plaster of Paris were wrapped round it, and after the plaster had dried, the burlap made a safe covering for the stone. As soon as a rock had been thus protected, it was numbered in the order in which it had been found among the other rocks. This was done so that when the men in the museum unpacked these various rocks, they could put them together according to the numbers, number 2 joining number 1, number 3 joining number 2, and in this way the rocks would be laid out in the museum in the same position in which they had been discovered. While working their way into the bluff, the men did not, of course, find the bones of the dinosaur arranged just as they had been in life. As some of them had been torn from the skeleton by vicious creatures when it floated on the surface of the lake millions of years before, and as these pieces had been carried far off and lost, the entire skeleton could never be found. But, considering the devastation that is always wrought by living creatures in all such skeletons before they are buried, and the many changes that occur in the earth after their burial, the bones of this dinosaur were discovered in unusually good shape. Slowly but surely, the bluff was made to yield up to man this animal which had died ages before any man had lived. To recount all that it was necessary to do in order to recover the skeleton would be to tell of many months in which every day was filled with the hardest kind of labor. Some of the rock was removed in sections that weighed two tons, and to handle these was a serious undertaking when the tools and appliances at hand were not many. But there came a day, about a year after the dinosaur had been found, when it was decided that all of the skeleton which was in that locality was unearthed. After every piece of rock had been wrapped and numbered and then securely boxed, the work of transferring the boxes to Medicine Bow began. It took many trips of the wagon before this task was accomplished. 
back and forth in the blazing sun went the sturdy horses patiently pulling the load that contained the skeleton of a creature which long before any kind of a horse had lived was monarch of this very region finally all the boxes were safely packed in a freight car and then the dinosaur started on his long journey the train sped swiftly eastward through a country far different from anything in existence during the dinosaur's lifetime and when at last the engine pulled the car containing the bones of this ex-monarch into the station of the city which was thereafter to be his home he had travelled more than two thousand miles although the dinosaur was so unlike any animal which any person had ever seen alive the men into whose charge the rocks containing his bones were given when they reached the museum knew a great deal about how he had looked in life soon they were at work getting the pieces of rock in order so that the bones could be taken from them all these pieces were arranged according to the numbers with which they were marked as each rock was put into its place the diagram made by the men in the field was consulted every rock fitted just as the diagram showed it should and this proved that the work of collecting had been well done sometimes a collector is careless in this part of his work and this carelessness not only makes endless trouble for those who take the bones from the rock but injures the collector's reputation as well and now at last the men were ready to free the skeleton from the rock a work that would require from one to three years to accomplish according to the difficulties they should meet as they progressed only men who knew the formation of the bones of the dinosaur as well as a surgeon knows the formation of the bones in the human body could be trusted with this undertaking but as there were in this museum some of the most capable men in the world in this sort of work there was no delay in beginning the task of taking the dinosaur from his tomb carefully with delicate strokes of various sized hammers on various sized chisels the men chipped the rock away from the fossil the man who worked on the rock in which nothing was visible but the grinning jaws knew that he would be likely to find all of the dinosaur's skull within the stone but how was he to get this skull out without breaking it with his chisel he could avoid this disaster because he knew so well how the bones in the heads of different dinosaurs are shaped the position of the jaw helped him to understand where the rest of the head lay of course this head might be found in a shattered condition and if so he would be obliged to work all the more cautiously in order to recover every fragment so that after all the bones had been freed from the rock they could be cemented together into a skull but this dinosaur's head proved to be remarkably well preserved without a bone displaced it took many weeks to get it from the rock but as the stone was chipped off a little more each day the skull emerged farther and farther from its tomb and took on an appearance of life that was thrilling to watch there was a fierceness in the set of the open jaws that spoke of this creature's violent sensations as he went down to death and when nearly two years later all of the skeleton had been taken from the rock 
marks were found upon it showing where the teeth of his enemy had pierced the dinosaur to the bone while chipping the skeleton from its tomb the men had occasionally come across pieces of bone that once were parts of other animals which had been buried in the mud at the bottom of the lake about the same time that the dinosaur was buried they also found some of the twigs and leaves that had fallen into the lake and had been turned to fossils in the same mud all these bones and twigs and leaves made it possible for them to know what kind of vegetation grew on the shores of the lake in which the dinosaur had died and also something about the animals which were his neighbors the character of all these fossils and the formation of the rocks that contained them as well as the position of those rocks in the bluff in which they were found all helped the men who worked over this dinosaur to gain an idea of how long a time had passed since his death to be able to judge of the age of fossils is in itself a science and one which is every year advancing after all the bones of the dinosaur had been freed from their prisons there was still much to do before the skeleton could be put together certain parts were missing and these had to be made out of plaster of paris some of the ribs on one side were lacking but it was not a difficult matter to replace them with artificial ones exactly like the ribs on the other side as there was but one hind foot another was made to match it a portion of one of the front legs had to be pieced out but there was less of such work to be done on this skeleton than is usually the case with such large specimens all the necessary pieces having been supplied the men put the skeleton together just as it had been in life their knowledge of living animals was an aid to them in this part of their work for while this dinosaur was different from any animal ever seen by man he still had a head and neck a backbone and a tail legs and feet and these were joined together much after the manner of living animals so the more a man who prepares one of these fossil skeletons for exhibition knows about the skeletons of living creatures the better skilled is he in his work piece by piece the bones of this monarch of other days were adjusted until at last he stood upright on his huge feet his body more than twice as tall as the tallest man and over seventy feet in length iron braces were used to support the monster when he was placed on a platform in the main exhibition room of the museum thus it was that the bones of the dinosaur which had been killed ages before any human being lived found a home in a great city where each year many thousands of people would look at him with amazement and all round about him in this same museum were the skeletons of other animals which had lived before men some of them had made their homes on the land some in the air some in the water many among them had been rulers in their time just as had the dinosaur in his and how these rulers looked when alive and where they lived and how they were at last found in their rocky tombs are stories well worth the telling End of chapter 3